This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. We're still here, still in the World Cup finals. And with regards to England, it's all gone the way pretty much everyone expected it to. Win the group, beat whoever finished second in Group A and then play France in the quarterfinals. And here we are, a date with the French on Saturday the 10th of December at 7pm. Coming up on this episode, I'll be chatting with Dom Smith from englandfootball.org about the Senegal match and also to Hugo Malim, England fan but French resident who has been keeping an eye on Le Bleu. But before we do that, some more of my observations about the World Cup since we last spoke in a moment. Uh, But don't forget the Three Lions podcast, some recent episodes... Uh, I spoke with a couple of England fans who were out in out in Qatar, but also spending time predominantly in like the UAE. Uh, Glyn Davis and Howard Taylor, both England fans. That episode is available at your podcast provider of choice or threelionspodcast.com. Go and have a listen to that. Now, as I say, my observations on the World Cup since we last spoke... Uh, some of these are a little bit dated, but what with these episodes not being so frequent? I mean, blimey, I can't imagine what it's like having to produce daily content. I tip my hat to anyone that does that, especially in a tournament, a World Cup or a European Championships environment. Um, yeah, good work. But no team has won all three of their group games. And this has been for the first time since 1994 in the American World Cup. And from what I've seen, no team has really blown me away. Every team seems to have had a a little stumble in some way, shape or form, especially when they've been rotating squads for final group games when they know they're already through. But it's certainly been a tournament for those not so familiar nations to show that they are up and coming and can play with the best from Europe and South America. And I'm thinking Senegal, the States, Australia, South Korea, Japan, Morocco. I mean, be honest, did you see all of those making it through their respective groups? No, I certainly didn't. But I guess the biggest topic of conversation has been the The Japan, Spain, Germany, did the ball go over the line story? I know it seems ages ago now, doesn't it? (laughs) In fact, it's going to go down as one of the most controversial World Cup moments ever. I mean, it's up there with the World Cup final of 66, the hand of God 86, England, Germany 2010. It's nice not to be the victim this time, isn't it? Um, obviously there are other moments too. Uh, Suarez in 2010, that was a controversial moment, wasn't it? I heard someone on the radio compare this situation to the, 
the viral internet conversation of 2015 where people were discussing the colour of a dress, whether it was white and gold or black and blue. That dress, I know, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here, but it's got its own Wikipedia page, that. But people, just like they were with that dress thing, they were split as to whether that ball had crossed the line or it hadn't. I'd had a look at it once and say one thing, then I'd look at it again and contradict myself. But I have to say, I think the correct decision was made in the end, but it'll be debated for years to come. And that phrase, curvature of the ball, oh, it's awful. So out went Germany, <laughs> much to the amusement of a lot of Englishmen who remembered when the ball really did cross the line. Belgium. I didn't think this would be their year. I didn't, however, think they'd crash at the first hurdle. However, someone I know did. Aidan Smith, who regularly joins me here on the pod and did so for the Iran review, he tweeted on the 6th of June that they would be knocked out in the group stage of the World Cup. Good work, Aidan. Uh, of course, no doubt we will chat with him again sometime soon. I'd like to think he put a couple of quid on that. Out went Uruguay in a dramatic match with Ghana, winning 2-0 but were knocked out by South Korea, who in the other game scored in the last minute against Portugal to take that spot by virtue of goal difference. And the group stages of this World Cup have thrown up all sorts of surprises and that's what's made it exciting and kept us on the edge of our seats. Yet despite this, FIFA have made the decision to change the format in 2026, the next World Cup, where instead of groups of four, it will be 16 groups of three teams, which if you're quick at your maths and better than me, you'll know that it's going to be 48 teams as opposed to the current 32, of which the top two will progress through to a last 32 knockout. FIFA, clearly trying to fix something that isn't broken. So who is out and who remains? Let's start with those who have taken their flights home. From Group A, it was Ecuador and Qatar. Although obviously Qatar haven't flown home. <laughs> Let's be honest though, it was a given, wasn't it? They lost all three of their matches. Ecuador, I must admit, I thought may have made it through. Group B, Iran finished third and Wales fourth. I must admit, I raised a few eyebrows when I said Iran would finish second. They didn't do too badly, though, from what I saw of them. Obviously, we destroyed them in the first game, and that probably put them out of their stride. Wales just looked tired. Perhaps it was down to the fact that they didn't have the same amount of time and preparation that they may have had, had it have been a summer tournament. Group C... Mexico and Saudi Arabia. Mexico missed out uh, goal difference to Poland. Shame, as they were tipped by a few to, to go far. And Saudi Arabia, even when they beat Argentina, I thought to myself, they've peaked too early. They're going to have to replicate it again against Poland and Mexico. And they simply couldn't do it. Group D, Tunisia and Denmark, with so many games on, 
throughout the tournament group stages. You can't see them all. And Tunisia were one of the teams that I don't think I saw at all. But Denmark finishing fourth was perhaps one of the surprises of the tournament. Group E, despite England's group being the one with all the highest FIFA-ranked teams, if you go by that, uh, this group, E, was the one I thought would be the toughest. You can never put Germany down as leaving early, certainly not for the second tournament in a row. Uh, Costa Rica finished bottom of that one. Group F, as we've already mentioned about Belgium, they finished third with Canada coming last. No doubt they'll be disappointed, but it could have been oh so different had they have scored that early penalty against Belgium in the first game. Group G, Cameroon and Serbia left us. Cameroon doing so after beating Brazil in their last group game. What a way to go. Uh, And Serbia, well, they'll be disappointed. Again, like Denmark, expected to go a little further than they actually did. And Group H, Luis Suarez seen crying on the bench, unable to do anything to help his team, will go down in his own World Cup history memories, along with handling the ball in 2010 and biting Chiellini in 2014. My heart bled. Uruguay left the tournament as South Korea scored that last-minute goal. Ghana would join them on the first plane out of Doha. So that leaves us with the round of 16. Now, at the time of recording this, the only result I don't know is the one between Portugal and Switzerland. But we started off with the Netherlands beating the United States 3-1. Argentina then beat Australia 2-1. Uh, That was a match where I think Gary Lineker said that there were seven nations in the world that all began with an A and ended with an A. I think I spent all of half time trying to work out what those were. Uh, Got there in the end. Uh, France, of course, beat Poland 3-1. We beat Senegal 3-0 and we will talk about that with Dom Smith in a couple of moments' time. Japan drew with Croatia, one all. Then Croatia, with the first penalty shootout of the tournament, won that one with some some absolutely awful Japanese penalties, weren't they? Uh, Brazil, four. South Korea, one. Now, I said that no one had really blown me away yet. Perhaps I ought to put that right. The way Brazil played in that first half was phenomenal, wasn't it? And then Morocco, nil. Spain, nil. The upsets, the surprises, they just keep on coming. Morocco winning it on penalties. Spain, what were you thinking? Going to a tournament without a recognised striker as such. Uh, Morocco, well done. The African nation into the quarterfinals for the first time in their history. (laughs) Amazing. And players that take penalties, Japanese players, the Spanish players. Don't do all this fancy footwork and jogging up to the spot and trying to put the keeper off. Just hit the ball, smash it. So frustrating, but so justified when some of these penalties are taken like that and missed. And of course, as I say, Portugal against Switzerland. I don't know the result of that as yet, but I'm sure by the time this comes out, you will, of course, know that. Right, let's crack on. As I say, we're going to speak with Dom Smith. 
Let's welcome Dom Smith from englandfootball.org and also now published journalist, writer for The Times, back to the show. Dom, hello there. Hello, good to be here. You well? Very, very well. Yeah. And yourself? Yeah, yeah. All good. Thank you. How have you found it so far, the World Cup? What's what are your observations of the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, if we talk, if if we're keeping it to kind of the the on the pitch affairs, I mean, yeah. we, we we've uh, we've talked a lot about um, kind of the controversy surrounding this tournament, but in, I think the football really has, I think it it did disappoint originally. I think there were too many nil nils in the early days, which mm. is the early days are when you're starting to really, you know, you you're really at peak excitement for a World Cup. You know, you you spend your afternoon watching a game that you would literally never watch ever again <laughs> in any other instance. Um, but you're sort of hooked because of the importance of this kind of competition. Um, but there were too many nil-nils. Yeah. I think as it's uh, as it's progressed, the football has got better and the interest has got better as well. There have been a fair amount of shocks as well, which I which I like. The the thing the thing with World Cup shocks is you sort you want them and then you deliberate on it a bit and you think or do you because if you if you have too many shocks you end up with the smaller nations getting really far and then there are no really big clashes at the big points of of the tournament which is sort of what you do want to see so I think it's been perfect um, how it's gone in terms of there have been a few shocks but there haven't been so many to kind of water down the quality of teams that have actually made the knockout stages. Um, you know, you've, you had Australia beating Denmark, you had Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, France lost to Tunisia, which is a country they used to rule over, of course. Mm. And there were a few more, obviously Japan sprung a surprise twice. But um, in the end, the, the bigger nations, with the possible exception of, of, of Germany and, and Uruguay as well, the big nations got through and and that's good. That kind of bodes well for the round, uh, for the round of 16 onwards where, where you'll see some, especially at the quarterfinal stage, I think you'll see some big games and and, and big matches. You know, none none bigger probably, it's looking like, than England-France. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we'll get on to England in a moment. But I, I like, I understand what you're saying about those, you like, we like the shocks, but we, we want the bigger teams towards the end of the tournament. But at the same time, it, it is good that the likes of Morocco um, and South Korea and Japan, uh, Australia as well, um, are progressing on the world stage. Um, it, it really is. And it sounds so cliche, doesn't it? But it really is now a global game that that everyone can participate in, and, and it's not just for the for the Europeans and South Americans. No, absolutely right. Um, and the wins for South Korea and, and Morocco, and and you know you see the players celebrating at the end of those sorts of games, and and the commentator will say this is this will go down as their biggest World Cup win, and you you just hope that they enjoy it because you know the bigger nations because they win more often they'd have to do something quite extraordinary to earn their you know to to change their narrative and earn their biggest World Cup win, whereas for a nation with a with a slightly lesser history like like Morocco, who I think could only. I think they'd only won one World Cup game before, um, and that came at, at Mexico '86, and when they're in England's group, actually. Yeah. Um, so for them to get their second ever win and for it to be against, I think they, I think that's right, and for it to be against Belgium, I mean, I mean, generally speaking, that most of the bigger nations have got through, and, and I do think that bodes well for, um, for for the latter stages. But yeah, listen, sports are meritocracy, and if you if you're better <laughs> on the day, or if you take your chances on the day. 
you you know, you've got a good chance of winning. I think against Spain, Japan only had 17% of possession. And I read somewhere that that was the lowest ever percentage of possession in a World Cup game, not of a winning team, but of anyone. And they actually went on and won the game. So, uh, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Incredible. We are speaking just after Japan have lost to uh, to Croatia on a uh, on an atrocious penalty shootout. Um, so it's a shame to see Japan go, but I mean, I have to say, it's deserved after that that woeful penalties that they put in there. Um, but yeah, let's let's go back to to Sunday night. England against Senegal in the round of 16, first time that the two sides had met. Now, do we start by discussing England's first half hour or do we start by talking about England going through and and finally um, getting the show on the road in that game? Where do you want to start with it? Well, we're inevitably going to end up talking about what it means in, in the wider context and just how well England played in the end. But but yeah, I mean the the opening of the the opening stages of the game were were tense. They were nervy. England were making mistakes. Looked a little bit nervous. You know the the, the quality of the opposition. Senegal is higher than England. England found in the group stage, and the importance of the game is is such that if you blink out, you know the the, the important you haven't got that cushion of three games anymore. You you really have to get it right, and and they didn't really in the first thirty five minutes. Senegal had more chances, but a moment of quality from from Harry Kane splitting the defence with a with a, with a pass that that reminds the viewer that he's he's more Kevin De Bruyne than he is Erling Haaland and it's worth remembering that really mm. um, splits the defence Jude Bellingham with one of those runs that he you know in in behind the Senegal defence that he that he used to such good effect against Iran in the opener in behind squaring for Henderson he said afterwards Bellingham I saw a white shirt in my periphery well he picked a good one out because Henderson sweeped it home really nicely for his third England goal and for his first tournament goal in his sixth tournament. Um, and England were, were on their way. And listen, they were fantastic. I mean, they, they weren't fantastic in the final half an hour, but that's because they didn't need to be. That was a compliment to themselves and the work they'd already put in. Um, because between sort of 33 or four minutes, um, the goal was on 35, between about 33 minutes and maybe the half an hour mark, 60 minutes, England were unstoppable. And, uh, Senegal lost a lost with a sort of near enough full strength team. I know they had they've got Sadio Mane out for the whole tournament. They had two other Premier League players missing on the on the day through suspension or injury, Idrissa Gay and Czech Kuyate. But but generally it was a full strength Senegal side and it's the first time that that Senegal have conceded three goals in a match in a full strength competitive match since 2013. So nearly a decade. So they 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 don't concede goals. Um, I didn't know that. But uh, yeah, incredible stat, really. Uh, England only have to look back to their match against Hungary at Molyneux in the summer for that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and and they conceded four then rather than three. But yeah, listen, uh, England were were ruthless. Um, That's the word that Southgate kept using, and he was right because they didn't have a huge number of chances. They had enough, and they put enough of them away. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned sort of that middle period of the game where obviously the the two goals in quick succession before half time and then Saka's third one but towards the end of the game obviously Senegal sort of run out of puff and and that sort of thing but it almost in a way once we once we started scoring with that as you say that the Henderson goal it kind of reminded me of the Sweden game in 2018 where it really was one-way traffic but 
it it didn't feel like we were going hell for leather. It just felt, and it's sort of a, a happy medium between going through the motions and going hell for leather. It was somewhere in between, and and it kind of reminded me of that Sweden game. Well, I've been I've been playing a sort of game with with one of my friends where we we're sort of guessing, predicting the the games, the score lines of each World Cup game. Mm. You get a point for the right result and three points for a for the right score line. And I said two 0 England, and I said it would be it wouldn't be inspiring, but it would be professional and it would it would mirror that game against Sweden. And I wasn't too far off, but but England were better than that, really. Yeah, um, they were better, and, and in that and in that middle period, they were excellent. And they they deserved their three goals, if if not more, really. I thought Senegal had a few chances, but they they never looked like like threatening Pickford. Although he did make a good save in the first half. Yeah, he did. That was a, a very good save. Now, I mean, I mean, whatever people may think of Lee Dixon as co-commentator on ITV, he kind of said that we did need to change styles and to get going in the game from. Short passes all looks really nice, but if we're not getting anywhere, there's nothing wrong with all of a sudden going direct in a in a in a sort of the way that Kane did. Yeah, I'm not sure. So I'm not so sure it was as much direct as it was. He caught Senegal's defenders kind of off balance, looking you know a bit flat footed, and he saw the runner making the run, and he played it through the lines, and and, and England were away, but. I think Henderson and Bellingham deserve to be singled out because they were absolutely outstanding and and they seem to be working as a midfield partnership much more so than than Mount and Bellingham. Although listen, Mount didn't do anything wrong in the Iran game, but he didn't do a huge amount right either. Um, but particularly in the States game, the, the nil nil draw in the middle, I didn't find that you know Mount seemed to be uh, struggling for a first touch and struggling for opportunities to create really and and Henderson's come in and and you know this that's football that's the whole point of competitive football you, you there's always someone willing to take your shirt off you and, and and good enough to do so and Henderson to be fair has shown his experience and he's done that and I think Henderson will you know it'd be interesting to see whether Southgate continues to play 4-3-3 now against France or whether he kind of prepares for the worst in terms of Kylian Mbappe and plays seven right backs and, and, and Harry Kane <laughs> So it'd be interesting to see, but I think Henderson deserves to keep his place. He's been brilliant. Yeah, no, he has been been really good. And it was good, obviously, to see Harry Kane finally get on the uh, the World Cup score sheet for for this time around. It, it was always going to happen. Um, he was always going to score at some stage. Um, but at the same time, it's so good that we've got these goals coming from elsewhere across the team. Your, your Henderson's, your Saka. But, but Kane now hopefully is... He's up and running, and it's going to take some to to score against France. But I I think they could be a little bit vulnerable. Absolutely, I mean, I think player for player, France have maybe got players that the world football would value higher. But I think England's players are the ones in form, really. France have look, look France have been brilliant in this tournament, and and so have England. And and Deschamps and uh, Southgate, I think, play quite similar football. Actually, quite pragmatic international football style of style of play um the the fact that people were disappointed with with how france played at the 2018 with all that talent it, it's irrelevant they won they won the trophy mm. they, they didn't need to go and to go out and try and win each game 6-0 because sometimes you do that and you're 3-0 down at half time and you're going home um that that's the kind of push and pull of this stuff you have to get it right i i think it's going to be a really close game i do i think i think england are probably a slightly better team than france in terms of 
um, the overall outfit um, and and the way they function function as a machine. But I'm not so sure that they go in as the favourites, which might sound perverse. Mm. But I think I think this has really been a tournament of individuals, actually. And although in England are a good outfit, as I say, um, I'm I I could see. You know, you, you look at Giroud, he's taken to international football so well. He's France's all-time top scorer. Mbappe is a freak of nature. Usman Dembele is right back into form now. You, these are players that could win any game, even a game of the high of the calibre as high as England versus France. They're good enough to win. England have got really good players, but I'm not sure they've got as many match winners necessarily. Um, but pe- people may disagree. You know, Marcus Rashford, it's almost certain to me that, that he won't start that game. I mean, I think his impact is is bigger off the bench. And I think Southgate sees that too. I mean, it, it, we shouldn't see it as be, as binary as, as being dropped. It's not being dropped. It's simply saying, is this person more direct than Bakayo Saka and Phil Foden? Yes, he is. Is he therefore going to be more effective against tired legs rather than legs that are fresh like yours? Yes, he is. So you bring him on from the bench. So Marcus Rashford is a, is a match winner, but I'm not so sure besides sort of Kane and, and, and one or two, they've got quite as many as, as France. And so it'll be interesting to see, will it be the individuals of France or the the, the team that, that Southgate has built over the last few years? I think he, I think he doesn't get enough credit actually for, for that. People say that he's had easy runs in tournaments, Southgate. And, and England did get a bit lucky uh, at the World Cup in in Russia and to, to a lesser extent at the Euros. Um, and when they, in Russia, they lost three games and they were the three games they played against serious, op, you know, seriously difficult opposition that the two games against Belgium and, and the match against Croatia, which, you know, was ended so infamously for England. But, but I think he's, he's changed the culture and he's made wanting to, you know, players want to play for England yeah. now. And, and it's a proper team now um, who, who are willing to put themselves out and do things they wouldn't choose to do, be in places, parts of the pitch they wouldn't choose to be for the greater good. And that, that's so healthy in, a, in, a, in an international football tournament. Yeah. Well, I know we, we briefly mentioned him, him him there, Kylian Mbappe, and and we mentioned about the, the right backs. Do Who do you think Gareth is going to go with? How do we stop this machine, this freak of nature that is Kylian Mbappe? Um, I think the assumption is that he'll that he'll go to a back three. It almost feels like since England have played three, a back three, they've done it to avoid players like... I feel like for the last four or five years, England have set up to stop Kylian Mbappe running at Harry Maguire one-on-one. And it now feels bizarre that we've got to the point where for the first time we might actually get to see that and England are probably not going to do that and they're probably going to stick to their back four because of how well it's done. And I think they will stick to their back four. I think it will be Walker again. I can see the logic in people thinking that, you know, a couple of people have said maybe maybe we're going to see a, a real, you know, left field shout and it's actually Trippier who's been rested for the Senegal game and he comes back into to pocket Mbappe, but I think that's overthinking it. I think Kyle Walker's recovery pace makes him the obvious candidate to deal with him. Doing the need a, a fifth defender in there? I don't think they do. I really don't think they do. I think what they gain in terms of defensive um, kind of assuredness with having an extra defender it is less considerable than what they would lose in midfield. They really need that third midfielder, I think. Declan Rice allowing Henderson and, and Bellingham to go on to create and 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 Henderson and Bellingham are not kind of number tens really are they that they're, they're they're naturally defensively disciplined and they are willing to help defend if they if needs be so 
I would I would hope that Southgate is courageous enough to stick with the four three three that's worked so well and really be brave and and bold and say, listen, if we're going to beat France, let's not bow to them. Let's try and beat them. Let's try and see if we are actually pound for pound better than they are. Um, you know, we, we, it doesn't. I don't think it needs to be quite so. It doesn't need to be a reaction of in terms of preparing for what they could throw at us. We should think about what we can throw at them. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's all set up very nicely um, to be a a really interesting game, and, and potentially, as obviously, as you get to these deeper into the tournament, this could really be uh, one of the games of the tournament. And we're just all keeping our fingers crossed that it goes our way. Dom, thank you as always for for joining us. No doubt we will speak again at some time very soon. Thanks very much as ever for having me on. Dom there. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Dom Smith and, of course, at englandfootball.org. Okay, France up next. Let's remind ourselves how uh, the current World Cup holders have got to this point. They were drawn in Group D, where they beat Australia 4-1 in the first game. They then beat Denmark 2-1. Then, surprisingly, they lost 1-0 to Tunisia. But like many other teams, they... uh, they shuffled the, uh, the starting 11 around, but it, I think it's safe to say it was still a little bit of a surprise. Then the round of 16, they beat Poland 3-1. And that's where we are now. Let's cross to France and speak with Hugo Malin, an England fan living in Paris. Hugo there, you all right? Yeah, bonjour. Hey, Russell. Hey, bonjour, ça va? Oui, ça va, merci. That's as far as I go. Um, yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, so... We uh, we meet again for the first time, I think, since might have been 2017, I think, that England last played France, something like that. But uh, yeah, it's the big time now. Yeah, that's correct. 2017 was that friendly after um, the Manchester bombing. So it was a bit of a, a sad occasion, but it was a, you know, a decent game of football. Uh, but at a tournament, I think the last time has to be 2004 and that those two Zidane goals at the end of the game. Because oh, yes. uh, I can't recall any other, you know, like um, games that was not a friendly between France and England. There's been more than that. There's been a couple at Standard France, a couple at Wembley, but yeah. not a tournament, a World Cup, a Euro for sure. Well, I'm going to throw a couple at you. I'm going to throw a couple oh, at okay. you. 1982, uh, it was mm-hmm. in the group stages. England won 3 1. And that was obviously in Spain. And then as England went on to win the World Cup in 1966, um, they beat France on the way there. So this will be the third World Cup meeting between the two of them. Oh, well, I, I didn't know that at all. So I've learned <laughs> something today. There <laughs> you go. There you go. So Paris, how is Paris at the moment? How are France finding the World Cup? I think people are generally really positive about this team. Uh, I know there's been a lot of injuries prior to the tournament. Uh, Benzema is injured, Pogba, um, Hernandez during the tournament. Um, but the team is playing really well. Uh, you know, for a long time, French people were not too happy with the team. You remember in South Africa, they went on strike. Uh, there was no cohesion. Uh, but now I think uh, there's a feel good around the team. 
So I think people are, are pretty positive about um, the game against England. They know that England's not going to be easy to beat, but I think people are, are generally um, looking forward to the game and, and they believe they can go at least to the semis, if not the final. Was that sort of the feeling as the uh, the tournament began? You thought, as as holders, we've got this, not stigma, but we are the holders. We're, and, and again, not a divine right to do it, but but certainly up there with confidence, I'm sure. I wouldn't say before it started. That would be that would not be true because of okay. the injuries. People were just really, especially when Benzema got injured the yeah. week before the first game. But after the first game, and especially Denmark, I think people realised that France has the potential to go all the way. I mean, Giroud has been fantastic. Uh, but I mean, Mbappe, no one seems to be able to stop him right now. Yeah. Um, so I think, and after Poland, uh, I think, you know, uh, there's a general, you know, feel good about, about this team. And, and rightly so. I mean, they've got a great team. Uh, they don't seem to let many goals in. So, yeah, they should, you know, they're strong favourites uh, with Brazil probably, yeah. Well, this was actually one of the things I was going to say, that they are susceptible to conceding a goal. They've conceded a goal in every game, um, mm. as opposed to, I mean, England have, what, conceded two in that game against Iran. Um, so, I mean, is, is the defence a little bit susceptible? I, 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 From what I've seen, not not really. Uh, mm. I mean, if you look at Poland, the penalty uh, is a bit debatable, in my opinion, but it, it is what it is. Uh, I think defence is strong. I think the problem is the defence, in my opinion, hasn't been really tested, if you see right. what I mean. Because you, you've mentioned it, the game against Tunisia was a bit strange. Uh, Deschamps made the decision to rotate the team. So uh, it was a new team, if you like, 11 new players. Uh, and Tunisia gave it a good go. And I think that's what uh, made it difficult for France. But the other games, um, I thought that Denmark were a bit timid. They were a bit, you know, they didn't really go for it. Um, Australia, we knew that they were not going to, they were going to play defensive. I mean, you know, they, that's how they got where they, they, they got, you know, they went all the way to, to the last of, the last round of 32. Yeah. Um, and Poland was, they, when they tried to attack, actually, they, they nearly scored. Um, but they went back to the old ways of being very defensive. So they, to me, that defense has not been properly tested, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. We don't know yet. Yeah. Well, we, we shall see if, if Harry Kane can uh, test him a little bit more. But, I mean, on the, on the French attack, obviously everyone talks about Mbappe um, and what he's capable of, and, and rightly so. He's, he's an amazing player. But there's, there's one player there who I, I've got a little bit of fondness for, being a, uh, an Arsenal supporter, is Olivier Giroud, always capable of getting goals. And during this World Cup has become the the French all-time top scorer, like taking the record from Thierry Henry. Is, is he just as popular a player as, as Mbappe over there? No, you can't. I mean, you can't beat Mbappe. I mean, Mbappe, is, he's what, he's 21. Uh, he already won the World Cup. Uh, Mbappe is, is like a superstar. But I think the story about Giroud, and I think people have a soft spot about him, is that he was a non-league player for, for a little while until he transferred to Montpellier and then Arsenal. So there's a little bit of a backstory, um, you know, for Giroud that people like. And also, he was not supposed to start for France. It was Benzema. And the fact that he he did well for Milan and he's starting and he's proving doubters wrong is something that people quite like, you know, here. Um, so, he, you know, he'll never be as popular as a Pogba or a... Griezmann or a you know Mbappe, but there's a little soft spot for for, for him because he's just like a sort of comeback story, if you like. 
Yeah. Well, Griezmann is a um, is a strange one in the fact that whilst obviously I don't generally talk about sort of league football, but his position at Atletico Madrid, where he's only playing what is it last half hour of games, and and now he's playing playing regularly. He's got like the uh, let the leash let off the leash. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so. Uh, he's also a, a, someone to watch because he's always seems to be in the right place at the right time. Um, his performances with France have been a little bit up and down, but he's definitely a threat. Another threat in yeah. all the threats that they are in France, <laughs> but he's definitely a threat for sure, hundred percent. And the captain um, Hugo Lloris, of course, plays over here for for Tottenham. Safe pair of hands, isn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think. I mean, obviously, he's. Um, he did an amazing save against Poland. I don't know if you saw it. The goal was disallowed for offside, but that was, a, you know, an amazing save. And he saved, you know, during the first half as well. So he's going to be difficult to beat for sure. Um, so yeah, he, he's he's an amazing keeper, and the fact that you know he's never been replaced in in such a long time just shows you how good he and how consistent he's been with France for yeah. all these years. Yeah. Well, I know you are, you've been a regular contributor to the podcast over the, uh, yeah. over the years. Um, and it's, it's always great to have you back on, but you, you are an England fan as, as well as like with, with French loyalties as well. Where are you watching the, um, other games, like especially the, the French ones and the English ones? Have you been out and about watching them in Paris? Yeah. yeah I've been watching them, you know, in, in bars and pubs. There's a, uh, a, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but there's a big pub in, in Paris called the Bombardier. Which is in the in, in the centre of Paris. So I've watched it there. I've watched it in, in another bar near where I live. Um, for this one, I don't know. I probably watch it with friends or maybe in the bar. I, I'm not sure yet because uh, the bars are going to be packed, really, really packed. You know, after two years of COVID, of uh, people want to be out and about. Uh, it's just before Christmas, um, so we'll see. We'll see what I do. <laughs> I depends. know. Yeah, I I think I heard um, it was in Germany where they said that they weren't sort of showing the the games on the big screens sort of outside um because it didn't want to sort of mix with like the the christmas markets is that sort of similar thing in in france there were they going to show yeah, games so yeah so there's no outside screening uh the reason is the same reason as you've probably heard uh, to boycott the world cup for mm. a number of reasons um so that's the, that's the main reason. I also feel, I could be wrong, that they also want to try and push people to, you know, go and spend money in the local um, bars, restaurants, um, supermarkets, uh, because, right. you know, lo- local stores have, have suffered uh, in France um, for the past, you know, two years um, of COVID. But the main reason was for no screens outside is because the all these uh, town halls wants want to make a stand and say they're not going to participate in that World Cup. That's the official um, reason, but the, the, some people, some journalists believe there's this this reason that they want people to go and spend money in, indoors rather than and yeah. stay outdoors. No, and plus, as well, I imagine if it's anything like here, it's getting a little bit chilly outside as well. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. It's super cool here. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just on like what you say about the 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 reasoning of of that and the the thoughts about Qatar we we all know as England fans and and residents here in England watching the media here what what's been the perception of Qatar hosting the World Cup by the uh, the French people 
Exactly the same as 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 the UK. You know, people yeah. were, were outraged that they, they they mentioned the human rights issues, the the, the issues of the LGBTQ plus community. But oddly enough, once the compete once the World Cup started, um, all this went out of the window. <laughs> uh, France's first game it, it, in France, the, it, the games are shown on two t on two channels, if you like. There's TF1, which would be your ITV, if you like, oh, yeah. and then there is Bain. Bain is is actually owned by Qatar and they show most of the game but you have to pay to to have been um so but all French games are on TF1 which is the the ITV as I said and the 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 figures for you know people tuning in are 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 huge I mean they are like a normal World Cup yeah so the boycott didn't really didn't really work if you like people are not really boycotting they they claim they do but they're not really I mean at work everyone talks about the World Cup um all my friends are watching so yeah it's not i don't think people are really boycotting yeah well of course obviously once once you start winning and and you're getting through the rounds then people are obviously going to be tuning in they don't want to be missing out on it especially with a a big game on the horizon now i know um you you were telling me just off there off air there you you got married this year and congratulations to you there i I believe your other half i believe your other half is french isn't she She's American, actually. Oh, is she? Beg your pardon. Beg yeah, your pardon. I it's all right. So I was going to say, I thought she was French and uh, and there would be split loyalties. So so where do her loyalties lie? And, and now I'm thinking, how was it for the American game? Uh, so she, I mean, she supports the US. She really got into, you know, what they call soccer yeah. uh, and her family for this World Cup. So that was pretty funny. And yeah, they were very disappointed with the game against um, um, Holland, uh, the Netherlands. I don't know how you, you, you say it right. Um, yeah. They felt that they they could have done a bit better, like you know, I mean that they 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 um they could have won the game and they probably um, respected the Netherlands a bit too much. Mm. Did that make sense? You know yeah. that they they were very close. Um, so yeah, they they really like she really she was she watched every single US game, so that was pretty impressive for someone who is not into the sport. Yeah, well, it's it's going to be more of it to come in four years' time, and and oh. I think. When uh, when you look at America, I think they they could well be building for a um, for that tournament. Oh yeah, for sure. That's what the coach said after the game. Uh, he was saying that they're building for the next World Cup, and I, I'm really looking forward to that one. Actually, it's going to be amazing. I'm not a fan of the number of teams. I, I thought 32 was fine, but you know it is what it is. Uh, but I'm sure it's going to be a great World Cup. Yeah, no. FIFA like to try and fix something that isn't broken, don't they? Yeah, I mean, there was a, it's, it's a shame because there's a great documentary on Netflix about, about the teams that are trying to qualify. Uh, they were following Jamaica, Croatia, and a small team somewhere. And, and you feel like the format of 32 is perfect. It's just a need probably to look at how many teams for Europe are qualifying and probably, you know, give a slot to New Zealand and that region, probably a bit more in Africa, you know, something like this, rather than try to extend the number of teams taking part in my opinion it's just i feel there's going to be too many games and we're just going to get bored of it after a while which is a shame yeah it's, you know, yeah we're looking forward to it the the group stages can be uh as much as it's good to have football left right and center um almost almost 24 hours a day there's there is only so much you can take of it when uh when there's a, a few nil nils going around exactly i completely agree yeah Mm-mm. so with the uh with the england game on the horizon how do you see it going then, and and how does the how do your workmates think it will go? 
uh, I, I think I think people here see it like um, not not as as the other games. I think they they feel that France will will win. Um, I feel I think we can win this, but we have to give it a good go. We have to attack. We I hope we don't switch to five at the back uh, like the other teams did because we saw that's not working. We have to give it a good go. I I feel it could go like that game we played. I don't know if you remember a few years ago in the Nations League against Spain. Where we scored oh, yeah. three pretty early, and then they really pounded us, to, and we nearly we nearly drew that game. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, like a two-one, but that same sort of scenario. We score two very early, and then the rest of the game they just have a go at us. I we're see hold- something like this. Yeah, we're holding yeah, we on for it. dear life. Yeah. Mm-mm. Well, no, we we shall see. Obviously, we're uh, we're all hoping for that that England result to get us through to the uh, the semi finals for the for the second World Cup in succession. But obviously, France will be. They don't want to let go of that. Let go of the grip on their uh, their World Cup. So it's going to be a very interesting game. Yeah. Hugo, thank you very much for your time. It's always a pleasure. Um, you're more than welcome to uh, to come back and chat at a later date. Merci. <laughs> <laughs> My many thanks go to Hugo there and also to Dom Smith before that. Thanks as always for listening. Always appreciated. Hopefully. I'll be back with some more positive episodes on the World Cup to squeeze in before the year is out. I'll definitely be looking back on the France game, so I hope you can join me for that. I know we've got a few football-free days with regards to the World Cup taking place now. Uh, Obviously, I am aware of some of our domestic leagues still taking place, so not forgetting you. Actually, uh, before we go, let's just run through... What quarterfinals we know. Friday the 9th, we have Croatia against Brazil and Netherlands against Argentina. Spicy one, that one reminds me of 1998. Dennis Bergkamp and that fabulous goal. And then on Sunday the 10th, of course, France against England. Uh, You can watch that here in the UK on ITV. That's at 7pm. And then Morocco against either Portugal or Switzerland. As I said, I'm recording this before I know the outcome of that game. I'm also hoping to speak with someone about the recent Three Lions shirt book that was released recently, hoping to hear some of the stories that went into putting that together. If you've not seen it yet, Google it. Google Three Lions on a shirt book. It's amazing. And also, it is such an easy Christmas present for someone that uh, you may know will appreciate it. So until then, take care of yourselves. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.